Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome. We're live here at the Football Digest podcast, and it's normally a bit of a, you know, it's a foursome, isn't it? But today it's going to be a, yeah... It's going to be a wonderful trio until maybe, maybe someone joins us later. But we couldn't ask for better company, frankly, so who cares? So joining me is Jeremy Cross and Neil Moxley, great colleagues. Thanks very much indeed. And it's uh, nice to chew the fat boys uh, with, with this week's agenda, really. And so, blimey, what a title race we've got on our hands, actually. And looking forward to the FA Cup um, quarterfinals this weekend. And of course, the Chelsea mess, really. Wow, what, what an incredible story and developing story that has been over the uh, over the past week or so, um, really. And Manchester United, blimey, where do they go from here after their early exit? Well, they go from here until the end of the season with another uh, fruitless and potless campaign, frankly. Um, and then to, you know... Who, who do they go for next? So listen, let's start, shall we, with with um, perhaps the title race and the reaction to last night, Arsenal and Liverpool. Incredibly, 14, uh, 14 points Liverpool were, were adrift of Manchester City on January the 15th. It's now down to one point. Who, bearing in mind these two, guys, these two titans have basically got a clash on April the 10th, who is now... Favourites in the title race, Jeremy. What do you reckon? Oh, so difficult to answer, really. Well, that's um, why I'm asking you. I mean, I don't have the answer. I mean, you have to say that Liverpool have won nine nine wins on the spin. You know, um, they have all the momentum, um, but you just can't rule out City. I mean, it's a privilege, actually. We're we're now going to get. I mean, you know, a couple of months ago, you felt that the title race was over. I remember doing a piece. Uh, at City, I think they beat Chelsea, and I basically wrote a whole piece saying, "Call off the dogs," sort of thing. You know, this is this this is now finished. Fourteen points was looked like an unassailable lead, but you've got to give Liverpool so much credit for hanging on there. And you know, to be able to go toe to toe with City, you've got to be a really really good side, and that's what's going to happen now for the next couple of months. You know. Um, and for a neutral, whoever you support, it, it's a privilege. It's going to be a privilege to watch these two go go bang at it over the next seven or eight weeks to see who's going to come out on top. Who's going to do it? You can flip a coin, can't you? But Liverpool have got a lot of momentum, but it only takes one defeat, one shot, one bad performance to, to bring all that to a shuddering halt. So, you know, I wouldn't like to say, hey, Mark's over to you. Pick a winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, mate. Well, as you both know, I like a flutter, but I'm keeping my money firmly in my pocket, really, to be honest. Because uh, how, how can you how can you call it? These are two, I think we will look back. I think history, you know, in, in two or three years' time when we're doing this or somebody else's, two or three years' time, they'll look back and say, you know, this was a, another incredible title race um, between two um, extremely well, just fantastic football teams. You know, I mean, you, you know, you can dip into your book of superlatives and drag out any anyone you want really to to uh, to describe it. I have to say, I thought last night one of the telling quotes from Jurgen Klopp was, you know, he, he sort of acknowledged that he said we've got a special group of players and we're trying to squeeze every last drop out of them. I think they sent something is in the air at Anfield. I think they um, believe that they can do it. They're never going to admit it. But I just thought it was really telling uh, last night that um, that he came out with that that little nugget, um, which sort of suggests that the, the improbably almost impossible and never achieved before might be on. And I, and I think Jurgen Klopp is, you know, with his rotation last night, bringing on, you know, leaving Salah out and putting, you know, t- taking uh, Jotter off immediately, he scored the first goal. I, I I think they sent something is in the air. If you put a gun to my head, I I would um, I would plump for Liverpool, but. That's only because I just think that with that motivation of, you know, all four competitions still being up for grabs, um, it's just very easy if you keep, if you're a football club that keeps winning things, to keep that as as, as a sort of um, the, the glittering prize that's in the distance that you're battling for. Uh, and again, with the momentum, I just think that the, the, the gap they've closed, the pressure's now on City, isn't it? And it'd be interesting to see. But then Manchester City withstood that pressure a few years ago and just concentrated on the job and job two years ago, was it? And concentrated on the job in hand and came up trumps. 
So, you know, listen, I, I would plump for Liverpool at the moment, just purely on the basis that they've got this glittering prize, but, you know, I'm not going to stick any money on it. Who's no. your pound on, John? <sighs> I, 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 you know, I was lucky enough to be at both games this week. So basically, and I love, I love Pep Guardiola so much. I just think he's a revolutionary. You know, in terms of the, uh, I do think the what, what he does for football is incredible. You know, he sort of reinvents position, reinvents sort of theories. You know, fullbacks, for example, incredible. How they didn't win at Palace on 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 Monday night is anyone's guess. You have eighteen shots. They dominated possession away from home. They basically hit the woodwork twice, and they did everything but score. But that has been their, you know, when they've slipped up, that's always been the Achilles' heel. Uh, and lacking that striker might be their undoing. And you compare that to Liverpool's momentum, five world-class forwards, you know, I know I know five into three doesn't go, but I mean, clearly something's happening there and it might be a changing of the guard, particularly with Salah's contract and what have you. But I just think let's fire them up. And basically that that, that front three, whoever they pick from that five are electric. And they're just, I mean, Salah's carrying a knot so he didn't start the game. And and yet he, he comes on, Firmino comes on with him, Firmino scores, Jota's gone off after scoring. It's just astonishing. And I just think maybe that gives Liverpool the edge. And I just think that what Liverpool are doing, they just look irresistible. And that momentum now, nine games in a row, is no mean feat. They've won as many points this season as they did in the entirety of last. That shows you just how on fire they are. The nine games left. I mean, you know, they could still, you know, chalk up into the into the late sort of kind of nineties, sort of kind of points wise. It's an astonishing achievement, you know. And, and I just think they are going to take some stopping. I think ultimately, you can't win, carry on winning forever. History tells us that. And they're basically, when do they slip? When does City slip? I think it'll be really tight. But I must say, I'd just be edging towards. Liverpool, I think they're at level of performance. I thought Robertson was out of this world last night. Absolutely astonishing. And and they just, it's small details, isn't it? And funnily enough, I saw Ian Mulby just in the press room after the game. And he basically said, that's the difference between great players and good players. And he's right. You know, they beat Arsenal because they had small details, small, small bit of difference, small bit of extra quality. And look, Arsenal played well for 50 minutes or so. But really, I just felt as if Liverpool were in control, I thought, of the game. And, you know, I thought I saw, that was um, the, that I was saw a tweet the other night. I was at Man United um, watching them go out of another competition. And um, somebody put a tweet out to say that, I know there's a few ifs and buts involved here, but if, if City and Liverpool both get through to the semi-finals the FA Cup and draw each other and draw each other in the quarterfinal of the Champions League, they could play each other four times in 11 days which would be a heck of a tussle to see those two teams go go at it for four times in less than two weeks. Wow. wow. It'd be a real treat, actually. I mean, yeah, It would be, it would be, because I just think Klopp and Guardiola, you know, they're the best two coaches in world football, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. I mean, I know yeah. we're sort of kind of, at, we can have a discussion now about Tuchel, but I still think those two guys are a level ahead of everyone else, frankly. Yeah. You know. I just wonder whether or not we'll look back on this Liverpool side um, when it's when the when the cycles on on a day and it will you know it will happen when that you know and just wonder what, like we did with Manchester United with the class and it's only after um, they've gone that you appreciate how good the likes of Paul Scholes, Roy Keane, Gary Neville, all the rest of them were. Now that Manchester United are in a bit of a fallow period, and whether or not we will start recognising the likes of Roberts. Well, we do anyway, but just how just how exceptional they are. I thought Wijnaldum going was going to upset the momentum. I thought that midfield they had, you know, just worked like just worked like clockwork. It was there was rotation. There was you know everybody seemed to complement each other. And he's gone, and people have stepped up, and and it's just it's almost as if nothing's nothing's really changed. And and I think with with games coming pretty much every three days. That, that freshening up with by going and getting Diaz in, in the transfer windows really put a spring in their step as 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 made Salah, for instance, for me, you know, and and all the rest of them look over the shoulder a little bit and think, well, I've got to keep performing here because A, I want to mm. be part of this, and B, you know, I, I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure of my, my place anymore, so I need to keep banging in the goals, I need to keep putting in the performances. I think they've handled the season really really well, and and I have to say that I thought that first game at Anfield this season. 
between the two of them was was possibly the best game of football I've ever seen. It was wow. electric from from first first whistle to last. I thought it was I thought it was I thought technically, athletically, the pace of it. I thought it was just monstrous. I thought it was an absolutely wonderful game of football. The thing is, as well, John, Liverpool have got um, they've got one trophy in the in the can already, which gives you so much confidence. Mm. City have done that for the last four years, won the first trophy, and it's gone on. They've gone on to win other things. So, and, and you know, when you get into the latter stage of the Champions League, you just don't know how, how Guardiola's going to think about team selection. We've seen in recent years how he's tinkered with his side, made some odd decisions, and they've, they've not won the cup. So, Liverpool have already won the European Cup under Klopp, so it's not as not as much pressure on them to win it again. I just going, I'm just going back to what Mock said earlier about the quadruple. You know, and obviously Liverpool will never mention that word in public, but. You know, as daft as it sounds, and I know it's never been done before, but if they did it, it would be, it would eclipse, it would probably eclipse anything Guardiola's done at City. Mm. Simply because it's historic. Mm. Yeah, um, it would I, be. I, guess, would be I, I don't know whether, I think it was after the Carabao Cup final, that there was a picture of Trent Alexander-Arnold walking down the corridor at Wembley with the cup. Yeah. And, and um, he basically put one out of four, which sort of like put it in my mind, well, okay, you know that that, that that they might not be saying it, but clearly, if if he's putting that on his Insta or wherever it was, I saw it. I'm pretty sure it was an official account. Then then then, if it wasn't, I apologise to him. But if if it um if if that was right, then it looks as though um it looks as though it's very much something that there might be in the back of the minds. Also, yeah. the, the the standards these two teams have set over the last four or five seasons, the bar is so high now. You basically need. 100 points to, to be guaranteed of winning the title, which is a staggering amount of points. Where does that leave the others? Chelsea. I mean, Chelsea are miles behind in the title race this season. And they're the European champions. I know they've now got the major problems off the pitch. But prior to that, they were, they, they were never really in the title race. And they're the European champions. That's how high the bar is for for the other teams to try and catch up. And I, I mean, how are Man United going to, and we'll probably come on to United later, but how are the likes of Man United even going to begin to fathom out a plan to get to that level? That's the issue clubs like Man United have got now. Yeah, they, they, they are miles ahead, miles behind, don't they? The others. I mean, really miles behind. It is it is frightening, really. And I have to say, it was a bit sobering for Arsenal, wasn't it? A bit of a reality check for Arsenal. Let's be honest, it's sort of kind of going for, for fourth place. I did feel that there was an obvious gap between, which yeah. you'd expect, but, you know. Yeah, but I'll tell you something, Crossy. I saw Arsenal play at Man City. Probably Jeremy was there as well, but... Um, they were they were miles off it. I mean, I looked at Arteta and and the, and the whole setup and the smell of the place earlier this season. They were two 0 down after fifteen minutes, and the game, you know, they were five down after an hour. And I thought, oh, if this carries on, Arteta's in all, all sorts of bother. I think they've done remark. I know they spent hundred fifty million quid, which does help before the transfer window then closed. But I, I just think that the tra- I, I can see a plan at Arsenal. I can see what yeah. he's. I can see what he's trying to do, and I think they have made great strides, you know. And I think, um, you know, I, I'm not. I, I, I picked. A, I've read the reports this morning and seen Arteta whinging about the schedule. Well, you know, he really needs to get over himself. To be quite frank, two home games and a trip to Birmingham inside a week isn't 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 a trip to uh, Moscow and back at the moment, is it? Then then playing at twelve thirty on Saturday lunchtime. But it's um. I, I, but never, nevertheless, I think he's done. A, I think this, 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 the green shoots of recovery are there for people to see at, at Arsenal. But I know we'll come into Manchester United in a bit. But it's more than can be said for for for, for several other clubs. And as for Chelsea, clearly they're competitive, aren't they, with the top two because they pushed uh, Liverpool all the way in, in the Carabao Cup final, and that could have got that could have gone either way, as, as we all saw. There was that many blooming disallowed goals. I mean, that was a great game of football as well. Um, but um, you know, you just wonder, you just wonder, don't you, whether or not um, you know Manchester United even even got a plan. Quite frankly, you can see what's what you know what, what Arsenal are trying to do, what Man United are trying to do. Is anyone's case? Mm, yeah. No, it, it, I must say, Arteta was quite amusing in the press conference simply because he was asked about lifting the players for Aston Villa and then went off at a complete tangent, basically, having a rant about the Premier League and the, and the fixture scheduling. Not to, not really about this game, although obviously it's the same set of circumstances, but the Chelsea Man United one. Needless to say, it would be it would be a fair observation to to uh, suggest that he hasn't really had a great deal of sympathy on social media about. It. I mean, listen, I think it's or maybe a maybe a point worth talking about. I and I think the sort of kind of 
the Premier League and um, UEFA should do more to support English teams in the Champions League, for example. So if you have a long away trip on the Wednesday night, I don't think it's right that basically should end up playing on the Saturday lunchtime. I really no. don't. I think it's no. wrong. We don't give our we don't give our teams the chance to succeed like other countries do. But I'm sorry, domestically, mm, I, I, you know, it's not the same. It's not the same. But um, so, so you know, he's probably not going to get a great deal of sympathy. What probably hurts is that basically they had February off. They only had two games in February, and now have to squeeze two games well, together you know, in, in less than seventy-two hours. I mean, Jez, Jez will know, but but Bielsa had um, Manchester United on the Sunday, Liverpool on the Wednesday, and then I think he had Spurs on the Saturday lunchtime, didn't he? Yeah. No, I, I, you know, that's the same thing. And I didn't see too many, I didn't see him, you know, he, he never he cost him his job in the end. But, you know, it was, it's one of those, isn't it? Leicester have had a horrendous, horrendous fixture schedule, what with the... Mickey Mouse Europa Conference League and Europa. steady, steady, won't have that. I do apologise, um, but um, yeah, but that, that, they've had a horrendous fixture schedule. And Brendan Rodgers just goes hammer and just goes at it. Doesn't doesn't moan or whinge. He's just like got on with it. And I quite I quite like that. I'm, you know, I don't, don't mind if um, Mikel Arteta and Arsenal's administrators play merry hell behind the scenes, but. Perhaps it's uh, perhaps it's not the right time to. Perhaps he's just putting a stake in the ground, Crossy. For we don't want any more of this. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe, maybe. I don't know whether it would, don't know whether it will work really. Oh look, we've got a special guest. Matt, Matt done. You know, Fresh amazing. from France. Yeah, hot footing it from Lille. Thanks for joining us, Matt. So well done. Rogers, I'm late. You're a time. No, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. We we were just actually, we were, I tell you what, we're just about finished um talking Arsenal, Liverpool, really, and the title race. So I tell you what, your your arrival is very timely. So let's move on to the game that you were at last night in Lille, really. Chelsea. I mean, the, you know, blimey, with everything that's going on. You'd really excuse them or, or sort of understand if they took their eye off the ball. But what a, another really good performance, another top result to take them into the quarters. Well, it's been impressive since they were put up for sale first by Roman Abramovich. Um, literally, as the Luton game was was kicking off, <laughs> they've had five wins out of five. And uh, I mean, two shall praise the the character of the players. They seem a determined bunch. Um, uh, got surprised in these new world. Got surprising up close to, to some of them. Were able to to chat a little bit to them, um, sort of informally, and they just seem to be going about their business. They, you know, the, there's no um, sense of of what's going on around them, and it's kind of an island of of strength that the, the dressing room seems to have. You know, while yeah, they're making horrendous gaffes like the. Uh, the Middlesbrough ticketless behind closed doors call. Um, and generally, you know, while, while the powers that be seem to be, you know, struggling a little bit, Tuchel and his dressing room are uh, 100% there. What would be interesting is see how well some of Tuchel's comments go down once there is an established owner, because he's been having a couple of pops at, at the, the leadership at Chelsea, um, which I think is probably what's muddied his patch uh, at his previous clubs when he starts you know, banging hat horns against the, the, you know, the club officials. Um, at the moment, obviously, that, that's an open goal because he's been an impressive leader in difficult times. Yeah. Matt, you said you get you have you had an informal chat with some of the players. Did you give some of them a lift to the to Lille for the game? I offered. I had, funny enough, I had a seven seat. Oh, I knew he was going to say this. I just All knew he was going to say I've got, this. I've got a temporary vehicle at the moment, which is a seven seater. Um, so yeah, there was on the Eurotunnel six empty gaps. So. So, you know, Tuchel talks a good game, but it, does he actually put the hard miles in? No, he doesn't. You know, they all flew back from their luxury five-star hotel last night. Uh, can't get that on 20 You really can't. So, uh, so yeah. A different uh, case at the weekend, though, weren't it, when they're stuck on the A1? Well, I think they're, they're gonna, they've wrangled a, a flight again, haven't they? Right. right. Uh, that was a noise last night. I'll tell you why, because I've checked, if you check the highways agency, and this is where you have to feel sorry for Chelsea fans, who are the long-suffering uh, sort of people in the midst of all this, the highways agency have closed both the A1 and the M1 and diff- two different points each Saturday night to, for, for scheduled roadworks. Right. So 
So I tell you what, that's why they're working overtime to try and get a flight because that five hour bus journey could be seven or eight hours. Blimey. That's going to take them nearly nearly as long as it took me to get home from to North London from South London on Monday night. Blimey. Um, I, 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 I have to say that, it, it, you know, this week has been an amazing new episode in the Chelsea soap opera, hasn't it? I mean, the ticket fiasco, the preferred bidder, the ongoing kind of very public auction, really, isn't it, for, for, for Chelsea's ownership. And it was interesting, wasn't it, that the kind of the owners of the the Cubs went on the front foot and, you know, I'm sure a few of us got emails yesterday basically sort of suggesting why they should be chosen and their interest in it. Um, and, 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 and frankly, is there an outstanding choice guys, do we think of, of who might get it? I mean, the Chicago Cubs one is clearly the romantic one, isn't it? And <clears throat> I, I, you know, should it go into, I mean, blimey, you surely got a right off Saudi ownership, haven't you? I mean, you can't bounce from a Russian oligarch into the controversy of Saudi ownership. But we are perhaps approaching, you know, a preferred bidder from, you know, maybe six genuine contenders perhaps on on, on Friday. So has anyone catch your imagination or, or kind of sound the right thing? I quite like Steve Ovette to lead a consortium so we could uh, <laughs> relive those races from the early 80s. Uh, although Sevco will probably get a cold and pull out. Um, I think I think it's got to be Chelsea. I think what it isn't going to be is someone who can plunge as much money into mm. Chelsea as as they've been used to. Um, obviously, there's a very sound and very sane consortium being put together by um, Sebco and Martin Broughton, who who are kind of the safe hands. But it's whether Chelsea want the safe hands or they want the money that can carry on paying for that squad and reinvest in it and keep them where where they've kind of got used to being. And I'm not sure. <laughs> The Cubs seem to to divide opinion over stateside as to whether they'd be good owners or bad owners, um, which you makes you think, you know, th- th- there's a, a sniff of the Glazers about them and the whole ethos uh, that, that perhaps that won't. But then, you know, yeah, and who'd want to be Manchester United right now? Um, but they, I, have, I, they, have, they have put, you know, United has spent over a billion pounds on players. They've spent it badly. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's, well, that's, that's the, but that's the flip side, isn't it? It's, does that make them good owners or bad owners? Uh, and that's, that's what, unfortunately, what it is, is they're not going to be the sort of owners who, if they get it wrong, will write another, you know, hundred million pound check or, you know, wave, put a one massive wage packet together to get it right next time. Um, so, and, and I think you said right at the start, it's a very open process. I think it needs to be because right now, Abramovich is the government that's kind of over, arching sort of the yeah overseeing the whole process because of, of of the sanctions they've put in place so i think the important thing is to make this as open and public as possible so we see why why a bid is chosen who it is exactly is bidding um and i don't want richard masters to see if he can beat his record for an owners and fit and directors test i want that process to be done thoroughly whoever it is so that we can start waking up in football to the fact that you know, we love our football clubs. We need them to be in the right source of hands because, you know, what all this has taught us is that there's lots of other clubs that we'd also quite like to look at again. And, uh, you know, here's an opportunity, um, in, you know, fairly bleak circumstances to get this one right. And I think that's more important than anything. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Jeremy, do you still see... Sorry, Mark, go on. I don't know who's making the decision on this. I mean, because it's quite interesting. Is you know, will it go to the highest bidder or will it go to a preferred bidder? You know, no, preferred, going- preferred, I think. Preferred. preferred. Okay. So who's making the decision? The way I heard it, when I heard it being discussed was that Chelsea were pretty much they're not, but you know, in a sort of administration sort of scenario whereby the control of actually the decision making was being taken out of their hands and put into the government's hands. So who's actually making the decision on on as to who's the preferred bidder and Again, like Matt, I agree. We don't really need to see, you know, upon what basis the uh, the decision's being made. And I actually think it's a really interesting litmus test for the way that um, an independent regulator in football could could operate. Because if they can get this right, or if they can at least publish the reasons why and and develop and put into place the first draft of um, a robust uh, directors and owners test. And we've got a blueprint to follow for the rest of football. You know, if they can do it properly with Chelsea, then they can do it properly with Derby, then they can do it properly with a host of other clubs who are struggling financially at the moment. 
through the um, you know through the financial shenanigans of their owners. And basically, you know, hopefully we've got um, something that could safeguard the future of English football for years and years to come. Get it wrong, and you know, the, independent, the calls for the independent regulator probably get get put back a bit because people will be saying, "Well, they couldn't do it right with Chelsea, so how are they going to get how are they going to get it right with the likes of Derby and everybody everybody else that's struggling a bit at the moment?" So I think it's a really interesting litmus test, really, to be honest. Yeah, it is interesting. I do, you know. Listen, I think it's sort of it's obvious, isn't it, that Chelsea have appointed the brokers, so they, they've appointed it. So you know, it's fair to That's fair just to say. the sale process, isn't it? Well, yeah, but then, then, you know, then it's up to, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. I think that the basically the US the brokers are a US firm, and therefore basically does that you know does that play into the theory? Then it might it, you know the couple of favourites at the moment. Toboli and basically, um, yeah, the Cubs, you know, basically, you know, are they, does that point to perhaps likely ownership, US ownership? I mean, well, it's I mean, interesting, isn't it? But, but I do, and then I think they, they then, they've then, you know, the brokers then take the preferred bidder and then apply to the government for a license to conduct the sale and the government ultimately oversee it all. So it's an interesting sort of dynamic. And, and it's been played out in the public arena. Mm. They've got to go for the safest pair of hands possible, in my opinion. You know, it's pointless going with, you know, um, the way the Glazers had the leverage buyout, basically. Mm. And, you know, that, that just, everybody would just like throwing their hands up in the air at that one. You know, Seb got, at least not, you know, Seb Coe's credentials go before him. He, he was the bloke that basically brought the 2012 Olympics to London and was the chair, chairman of the International Olympic Committee. Mm. I mean, you know, uh, irrespective of, you know, in terms of safe pairs of hands, if he gets it wrong, then, you know, where, where, where else, you know, where else do you turn? But, you know, in terms of credentials, it's all about risk management, isn't it? There's no guarantees on this, but it's all about, it's all about risk management. And I think to be, you know, a safe pair of hands Pretty much like, you know, when Sam Allardyce left office when he, as England manager, the next bloke in had to be a safe pair of hands. As it turned out, Gareth Southgate's turned out to be much more than that. But he had to be sort of pretty much whiter than white. And that's what we've got. And I, and I think they'll, they will, it would be remiss of them not to choose that same path with, path with Chelsea. Yeah. Jeremy, do you think, Jim, do you think this is potentially Chelsea on the wane? However, it works out as a major force, even you know whether that's a very, very wealthy American billionaire. We know that Americans are very much into the self-sustaining model. You know, if you know, in their defence, United have spent a lot of money. Arsenal spent a hell of a lot of money recently. So, but it's ultimately they want to be. You know, they 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 have a template. They have a mindset, don't they? But it's very different to. And Abramovich vision. Well, this, but, is, this, this know, is what we don't know, isn't it? Which makes it this is the fascinating aspect of this whole process. Mm. A, who's going to buy the club? B, what are their financial intentions? Because we all know how much money Abramovich spent on Chelsea in the end of twenty years. You know, he spent on average ninety million pound a year. I was looking at the figures. I mean, you've got to be seriously wealthy to pump in nineteen hundred million pound into a football club every year. Mm. You know, Chelsea, the champions of Europe. The fans have been used to a lot of success. You know, whatever you say about Abramovich and, you know, we all know where some of his money's come from, obviously. And it does leave a bad taste in the mouth, but they, they've won countless trophies and fans will want that to continue because that's why we have sport clubs, isn't it? To see him win stuff. So mm. it, 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 will we see Chelsea in the same light again? Probably never. Never. No, I don't think we will. I don't think we'll see that model again. Um, but you know, and will too shall stay. You know, I mean, we don't. Well, Jeremy, you've written about that, haven't you? You've basically yeah. said that you know, Man United have made him their in their number one. I mean, blimey, yeah. he's become an absolute, you know, respected statesman. Never mind a Premier League manager in this process. He yeah. he feels to me as if he's grown and basically matured into a different animal from the one that was basically throwing his toys out the premise he left Dortmund and PSG and is 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 really getting a lot of plaudits and and rightly so. So, you know, do you think that, that you know, how realistic is that, do you think then that basically that United United get him? 
Well, look, if you if you're if you're Richard Arnold is the new CEO of United, the, the next decision you make on the manager is 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 going to define your time leading that club on on behalf of the Glazers. Mm. You know, we've seen down the last well, ever since Fergie left, really, um, that, that they've got that constantly wrong. You know, they've appointed the wrong manager at the wrong time, uh, and it's look where well, look where that's led them to. You know, it's led them to mediocrity. Um, you know, they're supposed to be the biggest club in the world, but they're, they're nowhere near the biggest club in the world. So, um, will they get Tuchel? I'm pretty sure they'll go for him. They'll try and get him. I mean, Tuchel will want to, you know, want to hang around at Chelsea until the end of the season, see if he can win another trophy, maybe the Champions League again, which would be an incredible achievement back to back. And then he'll look at his options. It, it, he will want assurances, won't he, that he's going to have money to spend from the new owners. Um, but he may fancy the challenge of going to United. You know, it's a heck of a gig. You know, um, they're still a massive, massive monster of a club, um, and it is a monster of a job there turning turning that ship round. But it's something he might relish. You know, um, I'd love to see him get the United job. I think he'd be perfect, a perfect fit. Um, I know Pochettino's um, on their radar too. <laughs> he divides opinion, doesn't he, Pochettino? I, I'm, I think he's overrated personally. You know, I don't, oh, think wins, I don't think he wins enough stuff. Look at that. What are you shaking your head at? I'm, 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 I'm sticking my head. I'm, I'm with him. <laughs> Where are you sticking your head? I'm, sticking, I'm, I'm on the side. For those listening rather than viewing, Neil is directly underneath on the camera I'm, I'm, under Jeremy. It's slightly worrying me what he's going to do. I know he's got his... I know Matt... Fundamentally disagrees with me, and probably you do as well, uh, uh, Crossy. But I'm, not, I'm just, I just can't see what all the fuss is about. I really can't. Uh, he had a great set of players. He had a wonderful. He's had the best set of uh, players at Spurs ever seen, and managed to win nothing. So, um, and that was a, that was at a time really when he had the opportunity to. When we weren't talking about Manchester City and Liverpool as we have been, um, you know, the Leicester won the title. I uh, just didn't really. I just I, honestly, there was countless times where he'd turn up to like FA Cup semi-finals against Chelsea and they come up short. You'd be thinking he's never going to crack it. Just do it once. That's all you ask. Um, and uh, listen, he's a lovely fella, and we've all stood in press conferences. But I'm not judging him on his on his personality uh, as towards the media, and he's very very good, I have to say. But uh, I'm just I, I just don't get it. I just do not get it. Put a case for the defence, but I'm not having it. Well, we'll turn we what, what, what it is, what it is, Neil. <laughs> wherever you are, you're over that way. Can't work these cameras out. Um, no. Where <laughs> so left and right is harder than up and down. Um, mm. uh, what it is is he brings an energy, which is what we Andy and I were talking about last week. That United really need he, he is. It's like the energy Klopp has bought, the energy Tuchel has bought, the energy Guardiola has bought to the clubs. Um, he brings that. Um, which um, you got to remember, he built that. You say he had the best Spurs team. He built that team from the number seven or so duff signings when they frittered away the Gareth Bale money. Um, he picks up the pieces of that. You know, players like Paulinho and you know the, the absolutely Soldado. Yeah, he inherited. That's what he inherited, and um, and it didn't. Uh, and he built that squad from players who were ordinary players. Who I mean, Carl Walker wasn't. The world beater that he turned him into, um, you know, th- these are the players he developed. Harry Kane is, you know, under his watch, did most of his developing. He's an exceptional player. I don't know whether that's, you know, Kane driving Pochettino Spurs on or Pochettino nurturing Kane along, um, but but whatever it was, the chemistry worked, and that's what he needs to do at United right now. He's got some young players there that want to buy into a, a vision, um, certainly be kept focused on that vision, which is, seems to be a, a problem at United at the moment. Too many distractions, perhaps. And, uh, and you know, with some senior players like Maguire, I think he could help get Maguire's confidence back, which seems to be shot to pieces at the minute. Uh, you know, Maguire, has, Maguire hasn't become an, an awful player overnight, although, you know, it's hard to spot that he to spot it at times. So there's players like that that, that I think he could work with and with the right signings and the right sorts of players around them. Uh, and Christian Eriksen was another one he developed into the player that that, that he became. Um, Christian Eriksen wasn't a world beater when he first... Son, another one who struggled in his... Yeah, it was okay, but went up a level under Pochettino. And that's the thing, he develops players. And, and that's what United need to do. It's not that, that they haven't got the players, it's just they're not performing. Uh, and then with the right signings around them, you know, he could do something. 
but he's got to get over this mental hurdle that when push comes to the shove, he's then got to win things. Matt, and that is the big question. downside. Go on. If you managed a football team that had Kylian Mbappe, Lionel Messi and Neymar running the front three, would you expect to get further than the last 16 of the Champions League? You would until you happen to hold on to a 2-0 win against, you know, against one of the greatest, historically one of the greatest clubs in the world. And that's where, it, I don't think they're Pochettino players, and I, not the three of them, but, you know, that'd be easy. We could all walk into there and put those three players on the team sheet uh, and say, right, okay, lads, just give it to them. You know, football's never been that simple. You know, United thought they cracked it bringing Ronaldo back. That that did has only worked out half the time. Um, it, it, you need the the basis, and he's basically defending with eight players. And I don't think you can do you can do that. And you're certainly not going to get some of those characters to to track back, even if you know you're the nicest guy in the world. You know, but that's his responsibility to get them to work harder for the team, isn't it? Well, it is. Yeah, absolutely. It is to the degree, but if they're not the right players to do that, and you've got too many of them, that's why you can afford one luxury or two luxuries. But but three was was just perhaps asking a bit too much. And you know, well, no one else has cracked it, have they? You know, it's PSG should be walking past everybody if that was the case. But but it's this Galactico thing, you know, often falls flat on its face, doesn't it? You know, it's yeah, never really be, been In fairness, he wouldn't be the first manager to to not succeed at, 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 at PSG. What worried me was that sort of kind of you know he has take he has to take responsibility for the goalkeeping situation. There's you know he does alternate the goalkeepers. Is that is that good management? Well, it didn't feel like it against Real Madrid, did it? And Marquinhos is if there's one player you think that there is a leadership there, there is leader there. Well, he fell apart. He, he was the player that absolutely fell apart, and so you know, yeah, you know, I, I don't think it was a great audition for for for, for Pochettino, to 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 be honest. As much as I love him, but I do think he's a great manager. But they are surely, Jeremy, going back to it. They, they, surely the the DNA now has to be someone for the long term, a legacy yeah. manager, a, a manager who's going to embrace the youth setup and kind of try and build, repair, but also be in for the long term. I mean, that those are all the factors why they didn't go for, for Conte, right? And why, the, why they kind of got their, yeah. their mindset on someone else. That's and Tuchel awesome. fits that bill in fairness, doesn't he? You know, it, 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 or tries to, because he does like young players. He does give young players a chance. Yeah, look, United are going to have to bite the bullet. They're going to have to get a world, they need a world-class coach, an elite manager. They need a, a, a someone who's won something already, who knows, knows what that entails. Mm. And they need to accept that they need to give that guy two or three years at least to reach the end game. It probably will take longer. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of coming and goings over the summer in terms of players. So it's just not a short-term fix, which is what United have tried to do for, for 10 years, um, pretty much. And um, it's not happened. They've won the odd trophy, but, you know, they've not had that sustained success. So, you know, look, the problem is, a bit like Arsenal when Wenger left, you have a manager like Fergie for more than 20 odd years who sets the bar so high. Whenever that guy leaves, you know you're going to go through a, a fallow period because you just can't, there's not another Fergie around. So, you know, there probably won't ever be as successful as they were under Fergie. But, you know, they want to be challenging for the title every year. They want to be going deep in Europe. And that's a big ask for someone that. And I think it's going to take someone a really strong character to 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 manage to pull that off or to at least have a realistic chance of doing it. I think Tuchel, more than Pochettino, it seems to be wired up that way more. Yeah, Mox, it's interesting, isn't it, in the shake-up of what United need and, you know, sort of what, what the squad overhaul um, sort of is, is required. I mean, Aaron Maguire at the moment, his, his form is, 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 is unbelievable, isn't it? It's so poor, you know, he's really struggling. And we all know that Maguire can play so much better than that and I'm sure he will in the future but the other one is Marcus Rashford I mean I mean we're in rumblings we see rumblings about sort of his future now in question does he need a fresh start does 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 United need a fresh start away from him I mean I'll leave my cards on the table I love Marcus Rashford so much I think what he's done for the country and beyond football is just remarkable maybe that's clouding my judgment but I just feel that he deserves a bit more Respect, but you know, perhaps that's that's you know a wrong point of view when we're talking football. How do you how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so much wrong with Manchester United. Where where do you start? I mean, I've got no confidence in the people 
making the decisions ultimately. You know, um, Jez mentioned, um, you know, Richard Arnold. He's got no, he's got no track record in appointing football managers. I know you've got mm. to have got that from somewhere, but go and take somebody within the industry who's got a good track record for doing it. You know, you look at, look look behind the scenes at John Murtagh and Darren Fletcher. Again, they're rookies in the, they're rookies in these roles. You know, and yet they're charged with making decisions that effectively, you know, uh, will you know uh, decide the future of the world's biggest, you know, arguably the world's biggest football club. I've got no confidence in them. I've got no confidence in them, given the fact that they've. You know, try to bring in Ralph Rangnick, who's you know meant to be the architect of this pressing football. And you know, I don't know what I don't know. I can't see any evidence of what it is that he's trying to do there, quite frankly. And if it wasn't for the fact they got Cristiano Ronaldo back, I think they'd be little more than eighth or ninth now, possibly even worse. You know, for all for all these faults, at least Ronaldo's got you know not say for all these faults. Actually, a ridiculous comment for all these for the fact he's now thirty-seven years. Is he thirty-seven, Jez? Yeah, 38. 38. God. He's showing the sort of drive. Oh, I'm actually, Mark. He might be 37. Yeah, he's 37. 37. I think he's 37. The fact he's 37, he shows the drive, the passion, the desire, the will to win, all the things that should be absolutely inherent in the makeup of any Manchester United player or any Manchester United player that all four of us sitting having discussion grew up watching back in the noughties. And yet, I don't see any of it. I just see them sauntering around the place, quite frankly, happy to take their money and, and not deliver the you know at the level they're being paid at. Uh, you know, as for Marcus Rashford, I think the poor kid's confused. I, don't, I think he's been confused to death. I don't know whether or not he thinks he's a is a, a central striker, a striker that plays behind another striker, a right on the right on the left. I just I just feel a bit sorry for him. We all respect um, the. Uh, off-field stuff that he's done um, and quite rightly he's received you know public recognition for it but as a footballer I feel a bit sorry for him I think he needs an arm around the shoulder if I were Manchester United I wouldn't want to see him leave no chance I, you know he's got pace he, he knows where the goal is I just think he needs to sort out his best position and to have a manager that, that's got some faith in him as for the rest of it I just don't know where you start some, you've got to inject that Roy Keane We've won something. Throw the medal in the corner. Let's get on with the next one. That absolute warrior-like. How many warriors have Manchester United got? Yeah. I don't know. Basically, Crossy, Manchester United and Old Trafford has become a place for players to go. Big players, the Pogba's of this world, blah, 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 to stagnate. That's that's what's happening to them. Mm. You know, over the last five or six years, I can't I can't think of many players who've gone to United and actually improved and got better. You know, the one consistent player who's, who, who's really been good has been David, David De Gea. Yeah. You know, and that's your goalkeeper, which is, you know, says a lot. I mean, for years and years, he won player of the year. He was outstanding. But, you know, I know Ronaldo's come in and he's been great. You know, he scored a wonderful hat trick last weekend and his goals actually got Man United through to the knockout stage of the Champions League. Without those goals, they wouldn't have been anywhere near getting out of the group stages. Mm. So, you know, but that's just a short term fix. You know, Ronaldo's probably not going to be there next season. I think I expect him to leave in the summer because he, he wants to win a few more trophies before he does hang his boots up. You know, he'll probably play till he's 40 or now because he's a freak, freak of nature, as we know. But, you know, it's just, just so much wrong at that club, uh, inside and out. And it is a huge, huge task for someone. Yeah, it really is. Blimey. It's, um, it's a big, uh, big rebuilding project, that's for sure. But listen, let's let's have a look at the um, FA Cup this weekend because everyone knows that I love the FA Cup and uh, I think, you know, it's a brilliant, brilliant competition. I mean, some super ties, I have to say. I think, you know, Forest Liverpool is a, is, a, is a cracker. Will we see another upset there? But then there's, I mean, I have to say also there's Palace Everton at the moment and Everton is just, what a story that is for, for Frank Lampard because it feels like, felt, felt, felt a few weeks ago that, Everton were, were never in real danger. And yeah, that, that win against, what was it, against Leeds, basically pulled them away from, uh, you know, the thought of going down. And yet, in amongst this kind of deepening crisis, because they're right in the thick of it, they've got this FA Cup quarterfinal. Matt, is that a, a blessing or is that is that something that, you know, can be a distraction or is, is, is in a negative sense or a positive sense? Um, I'll put it this way, if they lose that, 
I think Frank's in for a lot because then all focus comes on the Premier League mm. uh, and that's what Frank Lampard doesn't need right now. He needs some light at the end of a tunnel, even if it's a an offshoot tunnel like the FA Cup is. But um, but he... I'm sorry, I'm a bit tunnel obsessed at the minute. I mean, just... <laughs> But uh, seven seats, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but but no, he, he needs that FA Cup thing to keep going to to give mm. Everton fans, uh, you know, something to talk about that's not my goodness, what are we doing here, Frank? Um, yeah, that's it's really important. The only thing I'm worried about is that Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace that's pretty much all they're, they're, they're safe that this FA Cup thing is something that's got them really excited as well. Uh, and having watched them. Uh, at the start of the week, they're, they're going to be a tough team to beat. So uh, it's going to be no means easy. And like you say, it should be a, a classic FA Cup tie, but, but Everton sorely needs to stay in its competition. Yeah. If we look at the more potential giant killers, Mox, do, do you think what, who's more likely to cause the upset? Middlesbrough against Chelsea, bearing in mind Borough at home and Chelsea's, <clears throat> you know, uh, restrictions basically. So there's oh, poor loves. They've got to get a luxury coach there and back or potentially a flight. Let's see. Um, uh, or, or, or Forest against Liverpool. What's more likely? Or, or, I don't, I don't uh, think they're likely, to be honest with yeah. you, John. I think, I think they're coming up against two teams who, for different reasons, have got. Um, we've, we've touched upon Liverpool's agenda, which I think is to uh, is to win all four. Mm. And uh, I, I, for that reason, I think Jurgen Klopp will, will have them bang at it. On that, they will know that Forest are no pushovers, and they will know Forest are you know a, a team with upwards momentum. We were talking off air, Jason and I, uh, uh, and you know Chris Hughton. I think they they picked up one point for the first seven games, uh, and uh, points per game ratio since then has been is pretty much promotion promotion for. I do expect them to cause Liverpool a few problems, but I don't expect Liverpool to be um, as weak as Leicester were when when Leicester went there and got and got turned over. Liverpool are too savvy for that. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as for Middlesbrough, again, you know, it's um, that they met Spurs. I think uh, within four, 72 hours of Spurs playing at Leeds, and um, I was quite surprised at the schedule of that FA Cup tie. To be honest, I, I, I'm not so sure that Spurs had the requisite amount of. Um, uh, rest after after that trip to Leeds, but at the top and bottom of it is that they they got turned over. But Chelsea are in a different place because I, you know as Matt's just said, they've they've seemed to have got a, a siege mentality around the club at the moment, certainly within the dressing room and from all the noises that Thomas Tuchel's making. So um, you know the Chelsea are the world club champions. You know, let's not forget they they're still they're the reigning European champions. That you know they're considerable force. You know, and and they're within what. Two, two games of winning another part. I think you know it. it, it you know they've had a, a couple of great results at the Riverside. And it's a tough place to go, and uh, you know there's only a five hundred Chelsea fans that will be even tougher. But uh, you know I, I, I expect the name to Liverpool and Chelsea to, to be in the hat on uh, next earlier next week. Yeah, it, it has got potential. I mean, bearing in mind Man City are at Southampton. It has got the sort of the makings of an absolute classic sort of kind of semi-final draw, isn't it? Really, the big the big guns, and I think it's a measure, isn't it, of of Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp, and basically, you know, Jurgen Klopp was taking stick over, not sort of maybe taking domestic cups seriously enough, but he's clearly closing in on 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 different trophies now, which is great to see, isn't it? I think. Yeah, because he, he didn't take the FA Cup at all seriously for the first few years of his reign. You know, they got. I think they got knocked out by Wolves in the third or fourth round at Anfield, and he made a load of changes. And um, it seemed to almost seem to be well. Our focus is very much the Champions League, very much the Premier League, and where we've got a we've got a field a team. But I'll, I'll play some kids. But it seems as though now he's 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 really devoting a lot more energy and attention to it. And like I say, with this um, this fantastic sort of carrot in, in the offing, you know, he's taking it a lot more seriously, which is great for the competition, really. Yeah, absolutely. It is really. Yeah. Listen, guys, let's let's perhaps finish on the um, uh, it's St. Patrick's Day today. I'm being I'm, I'm reminded here. Blimey, it's, it feels like a long time ago since we're able to celebrate in true St. Patrick's Day style. So um, let's, should we go around the room about um, favourite Irish players of all time? So uh, who, who, want, who wants to go first? Who should we choose? I don't know. I'd obviously go Liam Brady, clearly. Well, I was going to say that. Was, I was going to try and get in there first. Believe it or not, Rossi. <laughs> but no, go on. You can have it. You can I was going to say, believe it or not, he's top of my list because uh, as, as a left-footed player myself growing up, he was an outstanding <laughs> player. <laughs> so, um, 
Uh, you're yeah, compa- yeah. Hang on a sec. You're comparing yourself to Liam Brady here. <laughs> no, no, I don't. No, you are. Seven, no, you are. Did as a In journalism terms, you are the comparison. Matt Dunn last night compared himself to Liam Brady. <laughs> yeah, favourably. Why not? Mind you, he's been on a bit now, so uh, aren't we all? But, um, Go on, why? Just because he was doing things with a football that... No, you... Know, you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I, I could have <laughs> Tell me. Yeah, so um uh yeah, anyway, back to Liam Brady. Yeah. Um yeah, no, he was doing football that, that you sort of watched about me. Let's watch the about flight me. of the ball and uh and the way he could pick a pass and everything else. And you just thought, you know, that's what I want to be able to do with a football. And and he was at that time he was the only one really it was the bend he got on the ball and the outside of the foot goal against you'll you'll tell me was that in the derby was that spurs he did that yeah. again yeah um, you mean you mean when it's bent about outside six, of the foot di- and, six different ways yeah when arsenal won five nil white yeah. lane is that the one you're talking about yeah, yeah i'm gonna yeah. blow uh, yeah. being, being pro I'm, arsenal I'm, for once. I've never barely ever watched it. No, um, no. But yeah, but no, he was at the time I was first getting into football. He was he's one of the the outstanding left footed player of uh, of his generation. Yeah, absolutely. no, George Best though was he, Donny? No, he, see, I'm not as old enough to remember him, Crossy. Oh, <laughs> I mean, go on, Jeremy. No, I, I mean, I never saw George Best play live, obviously, but you know, we've all seen the reams and reams of footage of him. And what I mean, he's probably one of the greatest players of all time, isn't he? Yeah, you sure. can't look beyond George Best as the greatest Irish player. Yeah. Although more modern times, I'd go Roy Keane. I think Roy Keane was a, just a brilliant, brilliant midfielder. Drove that Man United side on. Didn't you remember? We scored he scored twice against Juventus in that semi-final in 99 in the Champions League. And then obviously missed the final, but he was a proper all complete midfielder. He's the one one of the players, few players you'd want to go into, into the trenches with. Yeah, absolutely, Mox. Yeah, sorry, Mike. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to echo what uh, uh, Jay says about uh, Roy Keane. Um, I, I remember going to the '96 FA Cup final against Liverpool. The uh, Spice Boys won, and, and Keane was uh, just a monster. Um, I just think he was just he was just everything. I think you know he drove that he drove that dressing room onto you know with focus. He was so much Fergie's lieutenant in in, in within those four walls and, and I just think everything he every he stood for everything that was good and bad on occasion about Manchester United. But you know, um you can't see uh you could see a few black eyes, couldn't you, if um if Roy Keane was playing now and uh, the current the, uh, with the current crop. Uh he'd soon uh, I, I think he'd quite happily stand toe to toe and have it out with them in, in the dressing room. Um, but yeah, I, 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 for me, he was he was the all, all, he was he was a wonderful all round footballer. The trouble is, the if you go onto YouTube and put Roy Keane highlights, all you get is a load of his punditry. <laughs> yeah, you do actually, and he's sort it's of very hard to find a... actual footage of him playing. <laughs> He's become yeah. a bit of a parody figure. I have to say, last last couple of months, I think he's he's reset and basically gone back to you know a little bit more measured. And I, I'm 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 liking him again. It's amusing sort of thing, really. Not I like the double act with Micah Richards, but um, but he, he he almost become a bit of a yeah, a bit too much really. But I do think he's a, he's a good he's an excellent pundit, isn't he? So um, but there you go. Anyway, anyway, guys, thanks so much for joining. It's been it's been good fun. So um, yeah, nice nice to see you all. See see you same time same place next week.